United have won four matches in a row for the first time since April 2021, which spells good news for manager Eric Ten Hag. Beating Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester, and Arsenal is no small feat. And while the performances haven't been perfect, or even particularly dominant, the Red Devils are beginning to show some signs of being a much more tactically stable side that can compete on all fronts. Today on Devils in the Details, we focus specifically on the matches against Leicester and Arsenal, the development of some new tactical ideas, the performance of some new debutantes, and what comes next. But before we get into it, Case, would you care to give an obligatory hold that to any Arsenal fans who may be listening to us? <laughs> I, I think I think I did enough of that on Twitter. That was an awesome match. I, that was that was probably I enjoyed that more than the Liverpool win. I think, which I didn't expect to, but there's just something really satisfying about beating a team. That's playing as well as they're playing. All right, you you took the humble route. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the Leicester game uh, before we get into Arsenal. I wanted to discuss the Leicester game in a little bit more detail because to me this felt like the match where United had the widest advantage over their opposition. I didn't really think Leicester created anything in this match uh, of significance, despite having a lot of the ball in the second half. They had ten shots in this game, despite having. Like I said, more than 50% possession. And those shots averaged at roughly 6% XG, which is extremely low. To me, it seems like not only did United last longer than they usually do with the higher intensity style they've been playing the last few weeks, but they were also making better decisions. I found players like Rashford, McTominay, Bruno were clearly making much better decisions out of possession than we would have seen from them last season. Yeah, uh, I think I broadly agree with what you said there. Uh, I do think in this match, Leicester had more opportunities than their sh- their shots would reflect. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised that they didn't create more than they did. That said, definitely agree the out-of-possession decision-making is getting a lot better. Yeah, this was a, a pretty good match for McTominay in that respect. And then also... For Fernandez, for the most part, I agree. Uh, we're sort of seeing the the midfield shape uh, come into shape. I hate to repeat myself. Yeah, I think you're seeing when one player makes a certain pressing move, you're seeing reactive moves from the pivot behind him, which is a huge step and was a huge, huge, huge problem under Solskjaer. So that's good stuff. Um, I'd say that was probably the most positive thing you can say about that Leicester match from our perspective. One thing that I would say I noticed was the press seemed a lot less individual. um, And it's slowly coming to be more of like team coordinated pressing movements. Um, In particular, I thought that was obvious with Rashford and Bruno where last season there were a few situations where where I would have expected them to run straight at the goalkeeper when the team forces the ball back to the goalkeeper. But they actually held their position and continued to try and close off passing options, um, which which I thought was really good to see because what often happens is United will execute something pretty good that allows the ball go, to go back to the goalkeeper and then just do nothing with it because one player runs straight at the goalkeeper and opens up the entire pitch. Um, and that can that's the type of thing that can make a, like, a full good pressing movement look really bad. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's something Bruno has been culpable of often uh and Rashford as well I think we always knew that was an easy thing to coach out 
You just tell them to stop doing it. Uh, like it's not a conceptually difficult thing to understand once you just, someone says to you is bad, um, which I guess isn't necessarily intuitive if you haven't played in a modern high-level press before. Yeah, was there anything else out of possession that you really wanted to speak about? I had a, I had a fair bit about other things in possession from this game and from the Arsenal game. To me, it just seems like the team's progressively getting better out of possession. And yeah, was there anything else you wanted to discuss in particular here before I move to on the ball? Yeah, I, I'd just say I felt from the back four, this is actually probably the strongest match that we've had, which, you know, maybe this isn't uh, the toughest test. It's like a 30-something-year-old Jamie Vardy. Daka and Nahia Nacho both came off the bench. I don't think this is a this was a particularly challenging side. I don't think Leicester are very good, but I thought all four members of the back four were basically flawless in this match. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about a few of them in possession, but honestly, it it feels like the back four is actually good consistently now. Um, I think I might have a less uh, optimistic picture if Dalo gets hurt because... I think that's where the depth is kind of lacking, but yeah, having a good back four is kind of nice. Okay, in possession, shifting a little bit to on the ball, the rest of United's, it it felt like at least for the first time later in the match, United were pretty dominant. They passed up a number of chances, I think, in transition to seal the game. I know a lot of people were optimistic about this Ronaldo cameo, but I actually felt that he was making poor decisions on the ball and... Um, getting into situations where I think he uh, makes a better action and United could actually score a winner. And there were a couple of others who passed up chances as well. It felt like United could have won this game 3 or 4-0 if they uh, made better decisions before the final ball. Yeah, agreed. This is something that could have sort of made me pull my hair out. Uh, I felt in the first half we were pretty good from a decision-making perspective in this respect. Um, but... Yeah, I think there's just some players, especially in the lineup that day, uh, that are not good decision makers on the ball. And this is a pretty poorly structured Leicester side that gave us a lot of territory and uh, transitions in their third and in their half, which sort of means, I do think when we're building attacks so quickly like that, players are more likely to revert to their natural tendencies. Um, so you see guys like Bruno and Cristiano and maybe Rashford to a certain extent, but I don't think he was so culpable that day. I think he just had a bad day on the ball. Um, going back to sort of hero ball, uh, and I am confident that we'll get better, including the players who historically struggle with this. But it's always going to be slow going, and I do think it's really limiting. Leicester could have equalized in this match. They, I think the, the, the shot profile kind of lies. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I think it's just kind of like one of those where... I think you said this, and I think I was going to speak about this later, but it's you said something along the lines of, you know, the in-possession stuff is coming together very slowly, but it's nice to see a couple of moves every game where United just, like, 
cut through the opposition with a really vertical, really dynamic attacking move. And I thought I saw quite a few of those in this game where it's like the ball arrives at the back and players are just cutting open lines. Um, and we continued to see it in the Arsenal game where um, in particular... I, th- I think we saw it even more in the Arsenal game than we did in the Leicester match. Yeah, I mean, I thought in the Leicester match it was Dalo who was making some really eye-catching passes. And then in the Arsenal game, it was um, Dalo as well as Lissandro, who always is, and Ericsson, who also always is. But having them at the back means that when you get into these situations of playing the ball long from goal kicks, um, which we'll talk about in a bit as well, um, you get the ball coming back to these guys. um, And they're just like cutting through lines in tight spaces and getting the ball into the advanced players really quickly, which is nice. And then the advanced players... Hopefully, as we as we said, like start to continue to make better decisions that allow you to retain the ball in advanced areas. Um, that's also something Ten Hag said in his uh, presser after the Arsenal game, not after the Leicester game, where he's talking about how one big way to improve here is to keep upping the intensity of the pressing and keep making better decisions in possession um, and not giving the ball away easily, which I think is promising to continue to see grow because it has gotten better already. Speaking of the last 10 minutes, uh, one player I thought was good in possession in this game was Casemiro. Um, This was the longest we've seen of Casemiro to date. He played the final half hour, and I thought it was a solid cameo. Um, Having him, like, we spoke with Om a lot about how his sort of strengths lie out of possession, and he has some problems in possession, but perhaps with a little bit of Leicester's lack of intensity and a little bit of him replacing other players in United's midfield who are probably worse, um, I think it ended up looking like a really good match for Casemiro in possession. At least for the for the non-dominant possession midfielder. Yeah, uh, I agree with this. I think we were relatively safe in the first half, didn't get threatened that often by Leicester. But then once the second half started, we really fell apart until Casemiro came on. And then things really stabilized. That's when we created all of those sort of half chances that had the attackers made better decisions would have been full chances and and maybe tap-ins. And I think downstream of that was the fact that Casemiro was breaking up attacks, whether firsthand or simply by being positioned better earlier in earlier phases of Leicester's buildup which let us gain control back and cause them to make mistakes higher up the pitch. All of, the, all of this is one continuous system. And I think we've seen little bits and pieces of that throughout the season. But when we finally arrive, and if you're listening, I've got this in air quotes, finally arrive at sort of our style of play that we want. Uh, it'll be because of all these little pieces. And Casimir is going to be huge in that whether he's contributing possession or not. Yeah, pretty much agree. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, the fact that Casemiro opens up a lot of options for how he can be paired. Like, I think having Casemiro is going to make Ericsson's life a lot easier as well moving forward, which even though it's not a direct in-possession impact, I think it is some kind of enablement because if you can't play with like, if you can't play with Ericsson deep, I think that's a huge detriment to the midfield. So before we move to the Arsenal match, I wanted to talk about the buildup still. Um, United are still going long from the goalkeeper in buildup. 
both in the Leicester and Arsenal matches, as well as the two before it. Some stuff that are reminiscent of the plays that failed against Brentford, where it was clearly set up for United to go long, but they didn't. And then some details that have changed, like there's almost a complete lack of intent, I would say, to play out of the back, especially from goal kicks or from inside United's own box. And instead, the plan is either to have defenders, they start like quite a bit away from the goalkeeper, and either they make these quick runs back to draw out the opposition opposition press and allow De Gea to go long, or they stay up and De Gea plays the ball into the congested traffic and United try and win second balls. We've already discussed these a fair bit, I would say, in past episodes, but I wanted to talk more about the consequences of this approach. I We've sort of implied it, but I wanted to do it explicitly. This clearly mitigates the issues United have playing out of the back, but right now, like, while right now it might seem like the sky's the limit after four consecutive wins, I don't really think that's the case. How do you think this style, I mean, at least I think it places a cap on United's performances at the absolute top end of the league. Do you think United could mount... This is a hard question, but do you think they could mount a sustainable top four challenge with a style like this, or do you think it's going to be very difficult? That is a really hard question. I'm going to say yes. The reason I say yes has less to do with what we've seen already and more to do with the fact that I think we can improve in other phases enough to mitigate the loss that we're seeing here. And I do think ultimately if we want to consistently control games, and you've probably heard that phrase so many times if you listen to every episode of this podcast, but if we want to control games consistently, we will not do it playing like this. But if we can get to a very high level in the other phases, even second phase buildup, which I think we're starting to see, sort of that line breaking uh, that was really uncommon under Solskjaer, especially in central areas. Yeah, I think top four is possible. But I have to say, even after four straight wins, I think we've seen enough problems and potential for problems that I don't anticipate us finishing top four still. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And I mean, sort of unrelated, but with Chelsea pulling the trigger on Tuchel today, I think that kind of also narrows the playing field. All the other teams look really strong, and they all play out of the back with their goalkeeper um, and indirect. And in as a result, I think they tend to control games more. I don't think United have had more than 50% possession in any of these games, like any of the four wins. Um, and while possession does not... It's not the be-all, end-all. Um, it definitely is an indicator of how much of games you tend to control. I don't think United have had the like the bulk of the territory in these games either. It's just been a case of being just enough better than the opposition for long enough that they can find a breakthrough and then defending well to prevent the opposition from equalizing. And I don't think that approach is going to win enough games over the season to get United top four. And I thought it was an interesting talking point because obviously right now United are four and four. They have a pretty good opportunity to continue to go unbeaten um, over the next few weeks with games like Sociedad, Crystal Palace, um, Sheriff, Leeds. These are games where a lot of people will be expecting United to win, and they could win. 
but I don't think that necessarily means that the problems are solved or that this approach is going to work long term at the level that United want to be at. So just sort of contextualizing this. Yeah. If we keep performing at the level we've been performing and getting the same results, we will have a mid-season drop-off that won't actually be a drop-off in performances. Uh, It'll be a drop-off in results. And that'll be because we've sort of been walking a... I I don't want to say we've been walking a tightrope because I don't think you can really argue we deserve to lose any of these wins, but we probably should have drawn at least one of them uh, and maybe more than one. And that's just because there are periods in every match where we get blitz. And part of the reason we've been surviving that is because we've got a functioning out of possession approach. We've got a really good back line. And like that's true skill, but we're still giving up openings that could be much higher quality shots with better execution from the opposition. And that's a really big issue. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's just a case of it's one of those where you can't pick out an individual match where United should have been beaten or should have drawn, but in the aggregate, they're not outplaying the opposition by the same extent as other teams who have been winning on this run, like City or even Arsenal, really, um, even though they can hold that. United haven't really been outplaying teams to the same extent that they have been over this stretch, even though they've been doing enough to get the win. And what that means is over time, more of these results are not actually going to be wins. You mentioned that defender dropping back that we've seen when De Gea is going long. What do you think the pros and cons of of that are? Uh, Because I've been giving this some thought. It's an interesting one. I want to hear what you have to think first, though. Yeah, it is interesting. I think it's good in the sense that the defenders that drop off tend to be good at playing passes between the lines. So essentially the play is you hope that the opposition or you you plan for the opposition to follow the defender in their run to drop back to show for the ball because if you have someone like Dalo or Lissandra receiving the ball in space that is not good for the opposition uh, because they can pick out a pass so they follow and then the ball goes over them and you have more space to play to the man now the disadvantage if you are playing long is that you have fewer potential players in that small area for the second ball, I think. So what ends up happening is, if you play long after Dalo and Lissandro make runs back, you basically have a minus two, even though the other team also have one. And I think that could also be problematic if the defender wins a header. I'm not sure if that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense. I would add another disadvantage. You're changing your defensive line. When De Gea plays that ball, if you have a defender deep close to De Gea and and, uh, an attacking player follows, the defensive line is functionally where that deeper defender is. So if, let's say the opposition were to win the first ball... Oh, I see. They have space. They have space, exactly. They have 20, 30 yards pitch that's relatively uncovered. I think this actually might be something... I don't want to say intentional, but the the alter- the other side of this is we've seen in other seasons a lot of the time opposition sides go long, win the first ball or win the second ball, and then break behind our back line, and our back line hasn't been very good in space. And I'm wondering if this is sort of a, 
uh, a compromise in some some respects, saying okay, we'll 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 allow this space, but we're basically going to have a safety. We're going to have somebody sitting deep sweeping. I'm not sure. I kind of doubt it because that sounds like a bad idea to me in modern football, but but could be. So I'm just throwing it out there as a thought I had. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I agree about the risk being raised if you lose the first ball. I think it essentially becomes then a trade-off of increased probability of the first ball working or opening up the short passing option if the opposition doesn't follow versus increased risk if you don't win it. The other thing I would say is it's kind of inconvenient that United's they don't really have many like good players to take down long balls. Um, the only clear candidates like McTominay, I guess, but it hasn't been going to McTominay because he's playing deeper. Ilanga, but I feel like he's not really a threat in those scenarios. Yeah, he's just better than Rashford and Sancho and Anthony, but that's kind of a problem now because I don't think Ilanga is going to be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could. It's a good problem to have, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you could go back to Martial when he comes back, but not in the air that much. We've, I think, part of why we've seen Ronaldo come on late in these games. He's the replacement Martial. Yeah, but I think also sort of as a pressure outlet. And I've been pretty critical of Cristiano's cameos in these matches because I think he's been very poor on the ball. But there's no doubt about it, he has linked play pretty well. And he also won a a flick on, I forget for who, against Arsenal that created a pretty big chance uh, late on in the match. Um, Yes. Yeah. And so, like, back to goal is definitely not his core competency, but he's certainly better in the air than the other forward we have. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I do think it would be the spot where Martial plays in these games, uh, like he did against Liverpool, where you want to... So it seems like at the start, you want to get him behind as much as possible, have as high intensity as possible. That's how you play Alanga. And then in the second half, you want um, better ball retention. So so early-ish in the second half, the sub is made for Antony replaced Alanga, and then Ronaldo replaced Martial. So you have Alanga or Antony offer the ball retention guy, which is Martial or Ronaldo in those higher-up areas, and with back to goal. Awesome. Okay, in the second half, we're going to discuss the Arsenal game and some of the... Basically, factors that led to that win. Uh, We're going to talk about a particular debutant who scored. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about Marcus Rashford and his nature in some of these bigger games versus in perhaps more difficult games for him. And we're also going to cover some of the substitutions that were made in this match and how they changed the game. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. We're going to talk about Arsenal now, but perhaps with some concepts from the Leicester game still in mind. Ten Hag spoke about ways to continue to improve United's play in possession, as we talked about, being more composed on the ball. I think we're really beginning to see some foundations of great play from some of the stronger, deeper in-possession players, who will play with a lot of verticality, but also make good decisions in their play. Um, in particular, Dalo, Lissandro, Eriksen were all making eye-catching passes to break passes against Leicester, and the trend can seem to continue against Arsenal. What are your thoughts about how... Maybe the system is starting to carve out options for Dalo, Lissandro, and Ericsson to start picking out these sort of higher-end passes and 
how they enable the style of play that United are going with right now. Yeah, um, so this is an interesting, or rather than interesting, I'd say exciting, because I think at a fundamental level, probably the thing that most high-level in-possession systems share is line-breaking passes to central areas, either to players who can turn on the ball under pressure or to players who are in enough space such that they don't have to. And we're seeing that now. And ultimately, I think this is a question of A, coaching, because I don't think Bruno was necessarily dropping into these areas as frequently as he has been now. But I also think it's a question of B, personnel, because I think to a certain extent, our defenders were instructed not to make these passes under Solstra. I think to a certain extent, they also didn't make these passes because they weren't comfortable making them in a lot of cases. And yeah, that that has a, has a downstream effect of, you know, Bruno and maybe our center forward, whether it was Martial or Cavani or whoever, were less likely to drop into these spaces and certainly didn't expect to receive the ball when they did. You sort of started talking about the final third, and this is slightly a different idea here, but I felt like not only were the back four being a lot more vertical, but the attackers were playing with a lot more composure. We saw some longer passing moves. The first goal being the best example of just a a really long passing move with good decision-making and a lot of actions that you wouldn't have expected from some of the players who were involved in the goal. I complained about bad shooting after Brentford, but it seems like it's already getting a lot better. You mentioned how we, we talked about how the in-possession stuff is coming together slowly, but I feel like some of the stuff we're already seeing is is pretty eye-catching. Um, yeah, just seeing players receive in the final third, not like the creative options they have, and then continue to circulate the ball instead of um, just like trying to force something to happen and losing the ball. Just the types of things that over the course of a match lead to better chances being created and more ball retention uh, that we would never have seen in past seasons. Am I going crazy or is that true? I think it's absolutely true. I think we saw um, in the match against Arsenal, the first goal scoring move started with something really, really simple. I think a lot of people pointed out Erickson's pass, which was obviously great and not something that either McTominay or Fred ever would do. That's on its own a huge change from last season. But just Lissandro going down the line for Malasia, Malasia turning, having no option, and rather than going back to the center back or going to Fred or McTominay, who probably would have just turned it back to the center back or gone back to the full back or hocked it long, he pretty carefully went inside to Erickson. Erickson was already facing forward and just sort of repositioned his body and nailed that that first time ball. Uh, whereas maybe the second time, I, not, I don't recall exactly, but little simple stuff is what enables those crazy technical plays. Yeah, so absolutely, I totally agree. It's being patient so that you can be vertical at the right moments. And we're still learning, but we're getting there. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see how it keeps growing and developing over the course of the season. Um, A perhaps more new topic is Anthony, who scored his first goal for United in his first game for United. 
Let's talk about his role in this match a little bit. Much like he was for Ajax, he played very high, very wide, and not only did he score, I felt he added a lot to the team. Um, in particular, he's a very resourceful player. He uses his skill really well to turn sort of like bad situations where he'll receive the ball with two players marking him um, into good situations where there's space and time for someone else or uh, he creates space and time for himself. Those types of things, I think, tend to be undervalued um, with sort of goals and assists being seen as the highest priority and Anthony's numbers, a lot of people being sort of skeptical about his numbers in the Eredivisie. I think what he can definitely add outside goals and assists is something that a lot of teams really would benefit from having, basically. And United, I think it's going to change the dynamics of how this team plays on the right side. Yeah, I totally agree. Natural right wingers pay for themselves to some extent. Um, maybe not $100 million, but yeah, I think we already saw it. I think it was probably one of Dallas' best matches in the final third that we've seen. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think having a left-footed right winger changes the way defenders defend the, the right side. And it allows a lot more space for your fullback. I, I, think, I remember a specific instance. Anthony got cornered up against the byline. And it looked like he was stuck. He wasn't going to get out. And he just sort of chopped the ball back to... Dallow and Dallow was had the whole right wing to himself to put a ball in. He crossed back post for Erickson. It was our biggest chance of the match up until Anthony's goal. I thought it was possible that he would have this effect on the right side. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people are thinking Anthony really didn't do much in this match. He was pretty quiet until the goal. And I think that's true from like a take-ons perspective. But I think structurally the side looked really, really different on that side of the pitch. And I was surprised to see that to the extent that we did so early, so immediately. And on top of that, I feel like he just, he's completely different to everyone else. And Ten Hag spoke about that as well. He basically talked about how Anthony adds this option. He spoke about it in, in terms as simple as saying Anthony prefers playing from the right. And he believes Rashford and Sancho prefer to play in the center or on the left. I think he's right about that. Yeah. Um, he didn't name drop Alanga, but in my opinion, Alanga's also a left-sided option. So, you know, I just think from that perspective, like, even things as simple as that, Anthony totally changes this. And United don't have a single left-footed attacker. That type of thing does make a difference in the balance of constructing an entire squad. Yeah, I totally agree. I I'd also tack on... There's an expectation within the tactical setup that we're using for the forwards to take up certain positions at certain points in buildup and out of possession. And Anthony doesn't have to learn any of that. And we saw that in the match. He is just really comfortable being where he needs to be to play the kind of football we need to play. So that's just one fewer player who needs to get up to speed. He is up to speed. He comes in and he, he knows this system completely. And usually I would say that's not actually that valuable. But given how much work some of these players need, having another guy who's there at 100% playing this system at the highest level from a tactical perspective is huge. Yeah, I think long term, I would like to see more players coming in from different places. Yeah, I agree. But in the short term, I totally understand um, some of the benefits of being able to just go 
okay, we're trying to establish a standard. Let's get in players who fit that exact standard immediately. I still think it would be nice to scout wider and, you know, sign players who are less overpriced, but... I, I, yeah. like I do I, not disagree. In general, I, I get it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Rashford. I felt these two games were a nice representation of his strengths and weaknesses. He was amazing on the counter against Arsenal, running in behind, um, got on the end of two passes and scored both goals. It makes United way more difficult to play against in these games. It basically means you have to have complete entire control of the game for 90 minutes to prevent United from having a look in. But against Leicester, I felt his all-round play struggled, especially under physical pressure. I felt his inability to move the ball in specific situations killed some good possession moves. And, I mean, it's why I thought people maybe were really positive about Ronaldo, even though he didn't play that well. Basically, I just... We've talked about this before, but he doesn't... Instead of talking about his movement, maybe, I don't think he really is suited to playing as a striker in a system where you dominate the game because I don't think he has the quickness of movement or um, or release to really maintain and continue possession moves in tight spaces. United already have the formula very clearly for getting Rashford to work in those big games where teams leave space, but... How can they get him going if it's possible in the games that suit him a little bit less? How can they get him to produce consistently um, in maybe the matches where he needs to create space instead of running into it? I think the first step is getting him on the ball less. I know that might sound wrong, but if he's going to learn that, if he's actually going to learn sort of... uh, how to be an off-ball threat when sides sit deep against us. What that starts with is keeping him between the width of the goalposts, not letting him drift off to the left or drift deep, because even if the movement comes along slowly or if he never gets there, that still has positive structural effects on the team. Um... If he is just between and beside the center backs of the opposition consistently and dragging them deeper than they otherwise would be. Um, and that maybe that'll hurt his counting numbers. Um, I don't think it will, because honestly, I think he will score more that, that way in, in those matches. Um, but yeah, I think that's the first step for me. He's great in these matches where we're playing against high lines. Like genuinely one of the best one of the best threats against a high line in the world. I don't I don't think that's controversial to say. We've seen him do this over and over and over again. It's just his quality and understanding of the game does not match that against smaller sides where they sit in. And that's most of the matches that United play. So it's important that he find a way to have an impact in those matches. If he's going to play center forward, certainly. Sancho and Anthony are pretty clearly the first choice wing duo now. And even when Anthony had not joined yet, um, Elango was playing on the wing with Rashford up front. Do you think the door is kind of closing on Rashford being a winger for this team? And do you think that's a good thing? First of all, no, I don't think this is the door closing on him being a winger. 
Second of all, I don't think it would be good for him if it were. The reason I say that is a lot was made of Rashford's performances at center forward his his first year for United when he broke through. I went back and watched those matches probably a year ago. I don't think he was actually that good off the ball in those ma- in those matches. He drifted into the left channel a lot. He did a lot of stuff that you wouldn't want from a center forward long term. Uh, he was obviously brilliant for a kid, like he was 18 or 19. Um, but I don't think, I didn't see anything there that made me think this is a burgeoning star at the center forward position. And so here we are, what, six, seven years later, and we're trying to do this conversion after he's developed years and years of tendencies. He's in his prime I think it's really unlikely you fully convert him. The side might need him to do a job there. And I think that's what we're seeing. He'll probably play more center forward this season than left wing, just because there's a need there. And I hope it works. Uh, But I think we're going to have a lot of frustration. And I do think ultimately his primary position is still going to be left wing, whether that's as a rotational piece or whether it's like he's starting some matches at center forward and then he's, starting other matches at left wing, depending on who we're playing against. Right. Well, in the case of the Arsenal game, one thing that happened was, like we said, Anthony was subbed for Ronaldo, which I think opened up for Rashford to move to left wing um, until Sancho went off for Fred, which, I mean, he's still he's still on the left after that, but essentially it gave him a couple extra minutes to play on that side of the pitch after playing up front for the majority of the match um speaking of which we had a question about the substitutions um we talked in episode four about how ten Hag is kind of a substitution skeptic um once again though he made four subs in this match and all before or at the 80th minute um Anthony out for Ronaldo we talked about um I personally don't think this sub works as well without um, I think it was also a play to get Anthony some fitness. Um, you don't want him to go from not playing at all to playing 90 minutes. I wanted your opinion more on Fred for Sancho um, because it seemed like a forward for a um, a forward for a midfielder very clearly, but also it was before Rashford scored the third, I believe. So what that means is United were only had a one goal lead. So do you think this was a little bit too um, too defensive of a move? Or do you think perhaps it was a good decision? So it's interesting you add on that it was before the third goal. Because, yeah, that certainly does paint it in a light that makes it sound very defensive. And perhaps it was too defensive. But I think the way it worked out was Fred would play very high up the pitch. Almost as sort of an attacking midfielder or at least an advanced midfielder playing a defensive role. And it sort of revitalized our out-of-possession approach. I felt we gained a lot of control because you had somebody who was way higher energy, sort of disrupting higher up the pitch. And I thought he was very, very good in that cameo, sort of as the advanced, advanced midfielder. I think you can debate whether it's a defensive choice. It's, I mean, obviously it had a positive defensive effect, but whether it's a regressive 
conservative choice. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I, in fairness, United are also playing these matches with deeper players who perhaps, like with Ericsson especially, played earlier in his career further up the pitch. So I think you kind of are... You're not removing the attacking ability from the team by taking off Sancho for Fred. You still have Ericsson, Bruno. Um, you had Ronaldo and Rashford at this point. Like, it wasn't totally pre- hitting the brakes. Um, and Fred is, like you said, just so good at raising the intensity of the game. Yeah, it, it's an interesting option to have in the last half hour because I feel like Fred has athletic advantages over other players and other teams when he starts games but coming on in the 60th minute when everyone's a little bit tired is perhaps even more of a mismatch um the uh, the other reason why i specifically framed it that way is because after the third goal there were clearly defensive changes lissandro more of a precaution coming off for Maguire, but rashford was replaced by casemiro being two goals up this is definitely just finishing the match right like it's definitely just trying to close it out yeah I think so. I was surprised Casemiro came on as late as he did, to be honest. I think Rashford was sort of fading at this point in the match, at least out of possession. And you don't want that, right? Like, if he's not going to be scoring the dagger, which he did, actually, but if he's at a point where he's not affecting the match out of possession and we're not dominating possession, it just seems like the intuitive thing to do. Create a little bit more stability if you have another player to work as an outlet. Yeah, I think it's possible Anthony would have played the full 90 if this wasn't his first match. I think Sancho coming off is definitely sort of an acknowledgement of of the changing nature of the game where you want to go like straight in behind when you win the ball um, and, and Rashford being more suited to that than Sancho. But with Anthony, I think you would uh, you would possibly see attempts to isolate him one 1v1. And then also maybe if Rashford's not starting some of these games, you might see Rashford be the one to come on and, and try to decimate these teams. But I imagine now Rashford's kind of a staple for big games. Um, I think that's pretty much all for the two matches. So before we end off, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming games. I imagine United will want to roll out a really strong team against Crystal Palace because they're a good team. But let's talk a little bit about Sociedad, who may also be a strong team, but in a competition where United are under less pressure for results. Give me your starting 11 for Sociedad and why. And keep in mind, because I know you might bring this up, that Donny van de Beek is injured. Yeah, I noticed that uh, there's a topic of discussion um, on Dutch football Twitter because uh, it's like, oh, Donny's not in the match day squad under his his old manager. What does this mean? And it was like, oh, he's just hurt. Anyway, lineup. I think Dubrovka starts. I'm going to guess Shaw starts. Maybe Wambasaka. I think that would probably be wise. Not because I want to see Wambasaka play, but because I think you can't play Dallow 50 matches. I think maybe you see rotation at center back, but I'm going to I'm gonna stick Veron Lindelof. Uh, yeah, yeah, Veron Lindelof. I'll go Veron Lindelof. And then midfield... We'll say, I think you got a Fred start. Hmm, this is a tough question. I'm going to... I think there was some buzz about Casemiro playing, actually. Yeah? Okay, well, we'll go, yeah, we'll go We'll go Fred, Casemiro, Bruno. And then front three, we'll say Ronaldo starts with Anthony. 
and Rashford wide. Yeah, that's what I'll go with. Interesting. I think I would... I'm pretty sure Maguire will play. I think that would be my go-to. As much as I understand playing Juan Bissaka, I think he should definitely play against Sheriff and Ammonia later in these group stages. But honestly, I think Dala's doing really well, and it's very refreshing to see. Casemiro, Fred, Bruno sounds about right. And then I'll say Alanga in the front three. He didn't play against Arsenal, and I don't think he'll play against Crystal Palace. So I'll go with Alanga. And then also Anthony and Ronaldo. I think that's right. Awesome. With that, feel like that's all we got for this week. Apologies for the Wednesday upload. Everything possible has gone wrong this week. And enjoy the Sociedad and Crystal Palace games. Um, subscribe to Devils in the Details. We're on all podcasting platforms imaginable. If we're not on the podcasting platform of your choice, let me know and I will add you. Send your questions in. Hope you enjoy our new logo as well, which I'll be pushing out with this episode. And yeah, have a great week.